You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. This morning, Kauai Mayor Derek Kawakami talked with us about his preference that travel restrictions be tightened for his island. This comes as Governor David Ige has tried to clarify the statewide mask policy and tightened up on the pretest safe travels program by mandating that those headed to Hawaii have a negative COVID-19 test result in hand. Here's Mayor Kawakami. As far as the mask mandate, you know, you can nitpick something to death, but I always say uniformity and simplicity is key. And so despite people finding flaws on it, it makes our operation a lot easier to have one uniform statewide mask mandate. The only missing link is the ability for our law enforcement officers to be able to just issue citations rather than have to make arrests and and have that tied up in the court system. So I know the legislature had indicated they're not looking at going into a special session. You know, that's their call. They have to weigh out to what level of importance the issue rises because there is a cost associated with it. But, you know, I think from the county of Kauai's perspective, it it does warrant and it has merit to, to go into special session considering that, you know, we're so close to turning the corner and having some sort of ability to enforce in a much simpler way, would help our operation significantly. And what's the latest COVID count on your island? The numbers between Department of Health and their reporting versus our reporting, our reporting is in real time, uh, includes all the counts. I don't want to give a wrong number, so I'm I'm going to avoid that one. But I'll give you these numbers. Since the opening of travel on October 15th, we've had 43 travel related positives. We have four travel associated positives, uh, meaning close contact to somebody had traveled. And only six are what we would consider community transmission because uh, for whatever reason, you know, either the investigation came back inconclusive, so they put that in that bucket or been picked up somewhere else. So that is significant. And I think that's why when Kauai asks for a mandatory second test. We should not be bucketed with the rest of the state. You know, you hear the lieutenant governor making comments, and that may apply to other counties, but for the county of Kauai, we're in a unique situation where a bulk of our cases are travel-related, so we should mitigate and intervene on where we're finding these cases. And, you know, it's a, it's a three-day quarantine. You get a second rapid test. And, you know, Kauai was proactive as far as working with resorts to create sort of a resort bubble so that these guests are not quarantined for three days in their hotel rooms, but they have the access to the entire property. And if anybody's been to some of the resorts on Kauai, the entire property is an experience in and of itself, so it's not that bad of a deal, but it still maintains a higher level of safety for the public at large. So, you know, our... Uh, rules that we propose may not be applicable statewide, although I do think it is of statewide importance. When you take a look at the numbers on the mainland and Los Angeles having to, to lock down and many of the states and cities moving towards that and mandating quarantines and curfews, and these people are flying here to Hawaii. We also believe that the cost of that second death should be should be passed on to the visitors. I know the governor had some hesitancy to make visitors pay. You know, it's very expensive to keep Kauai safe and beautiful. And that's why these travelers are coming here, because we are one of the safest places in the world. But there's a huge cost, and visitors during this pandemic should carry the load of some of that cost. It shouldn't be borne on the backs of just our working men and women that live here work here and play here uh, on a day-to-day on Kauai. You know, that's been our position from the beginning. And we'll continue to, to apply pressure is not the good word, but we'll continue to advocate for our position. My understanding is that the reason why uh, there are concerns about expanding it statewide is just the lack of uh, supplies that we might run. We might burn through those tests, you know, and then we go back to this whole thing of, okay, well, then do we simplify this and make one message? So... You know, how do you carve out Kauai and and not include everybody else? Simply, I mean, you know, from the beginning, 
we've carved out Kauai on many different fronts. We've the only county that had curfews. All of our rules don't necessarily align. And, um, you know, for Kauai, there, there's more restrictions. And as far as burning through supplies, it is, you know, it is a law of supply and demand. And uh, we're not talking about, you know, the PCR tests. We're talking about rapid, you know, antigen tests similar to the, the Abbott testing that was done um, earlier. So it's one of those things that the entire world has to measure. I mean, people on the mainland are having a hard time getting a test to travel because those testing resources and the labs are being prioritized for people that are getting sick. So the law of supply and demand always kicks in. Just to be straightforward about it, it is what it is until we get ramped up uh, production of limited resources that we're all fighting for. It's going to be a challenge to to travel for leisure. That's not something I can control. You know, the governor's taking quite a bit of uh, heat for considering the views of the various mayors. Oh, we all get criticized. We signed up for this. You have to embrace it. We're not going to make everybody happy. And, you know, that's what leadership is. Most times when people in leadership positions or even people in their own households, whenever they're making the right decision, it's not usually a popular one. And so, you know, take it with a grain of salt, learn from it. We're going to make some mistakes. And I think criticism is what keeps us sharp. You know, it makes us uh, deeper thinkers. It makes us weigh out uh, the perspective of other people that might not be aligned with us philosophically. But it, we, we have to at least try to look through the lens of, of people that are opposed to our positions. But at the end of the day, you know, the people of Kauai entrusted me uh, to put me in a leadership position. I have to do what I feel is right as mayor. And the governor uh, was elected by the people of the state of Hawaii. Uh, to be placed in a leadership position, and um, he has to make decisions that he thinks are, are the best decisions, despite the criticism. You have to be able to walk through fire. He has required a negative test prior to passengers getting on the plane to come over to Hawaii. It's a good call. I mean, if I was flying on a plane or if I was a flight attendant, I surely would want to make sure that before people are boarding a plane that they have at least a negative test result, which is not 100% bulletproof, but it's a good prerequisite. And um, based on, you know, our case count, you know, 27 of our 43 travel-related cases had negative pre-travel tests, 24 of them from the mainland, three inter-islands, so 27 out of 43 travel-related cases had a negative test result but tested positive. 12 of them had positive pre-travel tests after they arrived on Kauai. So 12 of them didn't get the test results back on time, boarded a plane, landed on Kauai, and then the test results came after the fact. And, um, you know, that's a long plane ride from the mainland over here. As a society, you know, we, we care about everybody. As soon as they land on Kauai, I consider them one of ours that, you know, we're going to take care of them. You know, you take a look at the majority of our ocean safety rescues, you know, it's visitors. The majority where we have to send firefighters into harm's way to rescue people on trails that they shouldn't have been hiking on and weather that they shouldn't have been hiking in, they're visitors. And we put our people in harm's way to take care of everybody. We don't differentiate. And so when somebody gets sick on Koi, it's a concern because we've got nine ICU beds. If we've got to get them to one of those beds, they're going to get a bed. But what does that leave for our own local people that may need access to that? So, you know, we have a different situation on Kauai. I don't think you can cookie cutter and make it uniform. And at the end of the day, I got to be allowed to, to operate as a mayor and govern this island. What about the inter-island travel aspect of that? Uh, you know, travel in general is, is a concern during this place and time. But for inter-island travel, and even for mainland travel, realize that, you know, many families are trying to get back home or many families are trying to just get reunited. Many of them have to travel for health care needs. But as far as inter-island travel, you know, people should take extreme precautions while they're traveling. And when they arrive at their destination, they should really take proactive steps to avoid getting any of their loved ones potentially ill, uh, they themselves getting potentially ill, or just getting uh, random people as they move out and about from getting ill. So just during this period of time, 
you know, the best line of defense that people can have is if everybody's wearing a mask, because now we know that it not only protects other people, but it provides at least a barrier of protection uh, for the wearer of the mask as well. They shouldn't uh, get too up close and personal with other people. They should maintain some distance. And of course, at all poss possible, they, they should, to the best of their ability, avoid large gatherings, especially gatherings that are indoors where circulation is poor. We are hearing health officials recommend that people not travel for the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, and, you know, you just know people are going to. cannot control people's personal behavior. You can only guide them and suggest. And, you know, when it comes down to it, it it's all about trust, you know, and that is the, the foundation of our operation here on Kauai and why I feel that we've been relatively successful. Even though uh, the mask wearing numbers shows Kauai to be the lowest, I mean, what do you expect? We've had months and months of zero to a handful of cases, you know, one, two cases, and then followed by weeks of no cases. People are going to relax. And um, all I have to say is, that, you know, that's why we communicate clearly on a regular basis. We give them uh, the real-time numbers as we get it, as soon as we can identify the source or point of infection, whether it's travel-related or community spread, we try to get as much information to our people because, you know, at the end of the day, what we're asking everybody to do is change their behavior for a prolonged period of time and make sacrifices for a prolonged period of time. And if you cannot maintain trust, it's hard to get people to comply. And uh, that's what we try to do on COI is to be transparent and maintain that public trust. Do you think you're going to call for even tighter uh, restrictions on the numbers of people that gather? You know, um, so that is a, a point of discussion that we had within our incident management team. You know, right now, based on our numbers, even though the next tier is restriction on group size and, and youth sports, we're not seeing the number of cases coming from gatherings or from youth sports. So it's hard to restrict those type of activities, um, we hope to be much more surgical as far as our restrictions. Um, not like the first go around where we um, we had to really quickly just shut it down with one broad, you know, one broad sweep of the axe. Just uh, right now, we're trying to take a look at good data, good information, and make adjustments um, that's pertinent to the situation at hand. So I have to say that. Uh, we hope to not have to um, impact group sizes. Uh, that depends on what the numbers tell us. Um, but, you know, we'd much rather uh, go towards the activity that's causing the outbreaks. And right now, for Kauai, it's travel-related. And as we see more visitors return to the popular spots across the state, you know, there has been some pushback on different islands, you know, where the residents don't want to see just hordes of cars coming down the narrow roadways into isolated areas. What's your take on that? That's where you got to make quick pivots on uh, what the visitor industry is going to look like. You know, that sort of scenario is the erosion of our quality of life, right? We all need the visitor industry to be healthy and robust, but it does bring its consequences as well. And for Kauai, traffic is one of them. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen it, we've felt it, and we also know what it looks like to make those adjustments. When we had the floods in, uh, on Kauai um, in 2018, uh, you know, we were able to quickly work with state parks, the Department of Transportation, and the private nonprofit sector through the Hanalei Initiative. And we were able to help fund the Hanalei Initiative's North Shore Shuttle state parks was able to quickly move on rules that were sitting and getting dusty on a shelf for years and impose rules at K.A. Beach Park. Um, so they were able to limit the amount of parking. You have to make a reservation. And if you cannot get a designated parking stall, you're required to take a shuttle. So it's brought about some balance into that area. And that needs to be applied island-wide, which is much more challenging um, when you think about the scale, but those are type of things that can be adjusted, and oftentimes there's no better time to to do it than during a disaster because it forces you to change your behavior, it forces you to evolve, and uh, you cannot let a good disaster go to waste.
And we certainly are in dis- disaster recovery mode. That was Mayor Derek Kawakami talking to us this morning about travel restrictions and trying to keep all of us safe. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Cole Academy Child Development Centers for ages six weeks to six years. Locations downtown, West Oahu, East Oahu, Kailua, Kapolei, Mililani, and Kona Kohala. TheColeAcademy.com. November is National Scoliosis Awareness Month. What is this condition, and could it affect somebody over the course of their entire lifetime? I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Join me today on The Body Show. We'll talk with an expert about the latest technological advances in the treatment of scoliosis. That's today at 6.30 on The Body Show. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Matson. For goods from ice cream to automobiles, providing ocean transportation to Hawaii since 1882. Matson.com. The changes to the mask policy and the tweaking of the pretest program are seen differently depending on your point of view. We talked to Keith Vieira of KB and Associates, a hospitality consul- uh, consulting firm. Vieira worked for decades with the former Starwood Hotels and Resorts chain. He sheds some perspective on the long view as we try and get our tourism industry back on its feet. Certainly presents a challenge for visitors. The short term is always an issue, but I think this is more a long term issue. Are you going to risk buying a ticket and not knowing that you're going to get an answer within 72 hours from wherever you're taking the test? No one guarantees it. I guess some are better than others, but people aren't sure of that. You know, buy your airline tickets. You got your airline ticket at risk. You got your hotel deposit at risk. And I think the real challenge is going to be for you know, couples or families, because what if one person, I, I, numerous times people have been coming over here and, you know, they got three results, but they didn't get one of them. Uh, at that point, is that person going to, you know, stay back? And is that person can't take the risk of coming over if he doesn't, he or she doesn't want to be in a 14-day quarantine? So I think that's going to be the real challenge. You're putting a lot of risk on the visitor and it's expensive risk. Uh, in addition it's to your time management risk, and nobody else's, no other location that I'm aware of is doing this. So we're just going to make it harder for visitors to come back to Hawaii, at least in the foreseeable future until, you know, maybe there's a vaccine or something. But right now it's just going to make it harder, and that's going to really hurt the first quarter. When we talked to the governor, he had mentioned that, you know, I think they had a couple cases where people actually knew they were tested positive but still got on the plane. Yeah, no, I think that's bad, um, obviously. But, I mean, what are you going to do? We're going to – they only had 44 out of something, some ridiculous high number. There are always going to be holes. I mean, there's no way you can filter everything out. They know that. But, you you know, you want to get it to 99%. And I think you also have to look at the situation. You know, if somebody – it's a, you know, a husband and wife or a family or one of the kids – I think you're just putting too much risk on them or get your partners to guarantee an answer in 72 hours or change it to five days, not 72 hours, add another two days to it. You know, then give them a second test, some type of second test when they get here after a day or two or something like that. But just take the risk factor out of it. And and then the other aspect is the rules keep on changing. So if you're a visitor deciding whether you're going to come back for the holidays or in the first quarter, are you going to take that risk? I wish one thing leadership would do here is every time they say safety is a priority, and everybody understands that, also say balancing safety with the economic viability of our island, with the economic viability of families in our island, uh, has also got to be weighed into it all. You cannot just make every decision 100% only what's appropriately safe. 
there has to be some risk involved. And what do you think about the uh, mask mandate? I think that's good. I think you've got to get it simplified so that people understand it, although I will say it's still a bit confusing. But uh, again, all those quarantine catchers and people that go to Waikiki and drive down and look and see, you know, if you walk, I walk Waikiki sometimes myself for my exercise, I kind of walk, run. Uh, If there's nobody by me, I don't have my mask on, but uh, I have a towel in case somebody does come by me, or if I'm going to go through a crowded area, I put on my mask. Um, but if somebody takes a picture, oh, look at this visitor, look at this person, um, they've done, a, I think, an overall good job of getting the message strong in the market. Uh, and I don't think that has been the issue. The issue has been, you know, plow, uh, housing clusters uh, in, you know, large homes that have been a little bit more of a challenge that was tied to contract tracing, which the state screwed up on. So you don't think this mass shaming is a good idea? No, I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's I think it's necessary. But I again, if you're consistent by island, I think it's a good thing. I just get worried that, you know, again, walking down the street, nobody buying, but a policeman says you're supposed to have it on. And then you get this, you know, it's a crime. You'll have that on your record. My only concern is how do we grow back our economy? And right now, our economy now and in any type of future almost is going to be through the visitor industry. And it's tied to a sense of welcome, aloha spirit, people feeling good about coming here, people feeling that people here like them coming here. That's my concern is that that brand message may change. I mean, you go to parts of Kauai, you know, you certainly don't feel welcome as a visitor. So it's going to be a challenge to make sure we keep you know, our whole keep of people still want to come here because it is our economy. Right. And we are hearing, you know, in some of the areas that are remote, you know, where safety and the narrow roads are, are an issue that they are not real keen on welcoming crowds of tourists right. back. I have a friend that lives, he used to work for me. He, he's retired. He lives in Waikiki. He's South African and he has blonde hair and blue eyes and he's about 70 years old and he rides his bike all the time. Every day he tells me he gets yelled at how they go home. Every day. That's what I'm concerned about because that's what's going to all of a sudden make us like all other destinations and no more are we that welcoming, unique place. Now, that's an, you know, that's an extreme situation, but we can't lose what our core values are that, you know, that our brand is, is known for. And there are people who feel that way. We do have some bright spots with the Japan travel bubble and Canada. Well, the Japan travel bubble is completely useless if they have to quarantine for 14 days going home. So I hope the state continues to work with the government there about, you know, we're one of the safest states in the country, allow them to go home without having to re-quarantine or take a test on this side uh, three days before the depart or whatever it is so that visitor, we can actually get some visitor counts. Right now, it's just minuscule. Yeah, you have to wonder about the airlines when they have a whole plane and only 65 people are on board. Yeah, no, the, the fact Japanese are not going to come. There's going to be a few, but we're not going to get back to a million five, a million seven Japanese visitors not under not having to quarantine. I mean, the reason they only stay here five nights is because most Japanese only take seven days vacation at one time. So the last thing they're going to do is come here for five or six nights and then go home for two weeks and have to quarantine. You know, a few, you know, maybe retirees, but no, not not as a whole. And then the Canadian market. I know a lot of the snowbirds are going to be returning. It's good timing for that, and I'm I'm glad they tend to stay longer. They aren't necessarily always the biggest spenders, but right now that's all right. Let's let's get people back here and get people, and mainly get our employees back to work. People don't really understand the issue is the first quarter booking pace. If we want to recover sometime in 2021, we've got to increase the first quarter bookings. And I mean, the short term, the next month or two are I'm not going to say irrelevant, but it's certainly not going to make anything for anybody. And if we don't get consistent on our message, if we don't make our testing process simpler, if we don't create a warning meth- uh, message and ask visitors to come back, we have challenges up, up ahead. And, you know, a year running at 40, 50 percent occupancy means there will be major layoffs, including those that are on furlough, will not be on furlough. They'll be completely laid off with no medical and, and on. So we've got to find some way to get those people back to work through an increased booking pace. We also, as a second part of that, we also have to send a consistent message to the group market. 
We're not a big group market. It's only probably 17 to 19% of our business. But the group market books in advance and allows you to plan around it or plan for it. And basically every single group that we had coming to Hawaii canceled. We have a chance to rebook them in the second half of 2021 and then for 2022. The groups all want to come back. But with the current message of no getting together and uh, you know, beyond groups of five and ten or what, whatever the specific rules are, they're not going to rebook. I think we have to plan that by the time we get to July, August, September, the fall of, ne- of next year, that we'll be in a better place. And we have got to get these groups to book back. Otherwise, we're going to run that additional hole. And these groups will book elsewhere. And basically, you can almost go anywhere now without the difficulty you have coming to Hawaii. You know, my heart does go out to the folks at the Hawaii Convention Center because, you know, without <laughs> those conventions, right? You mean the the state capitol junior? Yes. It's bad. And also, I mean, what people don't talk about relative to that is they were forced to eliminate their sales staffs. So conventions book generally three to five years out, but we don't have anybody selling that. Those people were all laid off. So, you know... Again, we've got to work on certainly the short run, but it, it, it is as important to work on the long run and book those groups for 23, 24, and 25 when we have to assume that, you know, we can get together the group. And maybe if not a vaccine, there'll be other methods that we're dealing with this because otherwise we're going to run some open times that are going to be really difficult for us. Yeah, those hotel rooms are just going to sit empty. You know, that's one thing. But more important is how do people get back to work? Uh, when the mayor says the other day that we have 400 million shortfall in city budget for next year, how are you going to fix that? You know, there's been no layoffs in the county and the city, uh, city and county and and state and federal workers, et cetera. I mean, they're all getting their pay, and good for them. I'm I'm, I'm glad, but you just cannot continue this going on without your main source of revenue driving revenue. Right. No hotel room tax. Less money for the counties. Yep, the GET mm-hmm. loss is massive. How many more restaurants are going to close? And there's one opportunity that we have not yet taken advantage of. When people were flipping out, when they heard, oh, 10 million visitors, too many. In 2009, there were 43,000 hotel rooms and 7 million visitors. In 2019, there were 10 million visitors, arrivals, and 43,000 hotel rooms. So basically, the whole three, the jump from 7 million to 10 million was in alternative accommodations. People are staying in Airbnb, et cetera. And those people, who some of us do that, you know, every now and then traveling with a family, whatever, but basically those people are are generally the ones that are at Costco buying sandwiches to go to the beach and the hiking trails. They have much more use of the, of the, uh, of the natural resources of Hawaii. Okay, well, that's what they want to come here for. But the, it's not from the growth from the resorts. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We have this opportunity now when social distancing, in addition to significant, well, no no visitors, basically, that we could have set up apps for all of our hiking trails and other visitor attractions, uh, publicly open visitor attractions that would have allowed people to maybe book a time, uh, manage their use of how many people hike Diamond Head, charge for their parking or admission to the park or the hiking trail, and then when and use it to during social distancing to make sure that we don't have a trail with uh, a thousand people that should have a hundred but that would boil over well for us is that when the visitor market does return we could continue to manage our resources you know if you go hiking Mm -hmm. in california you want to go in the redwoods you go online you make a time tuesday between 10 and 12 and they charge you for your car and they charge you for per person and then you go at it i mean the only place that does a little of that is hanama bay but it's not on an app Uh, you have to go out and hit and miss so why not manage the resources, uh, take this opportunity to manage the resources? Because that's what people are upset about. And you yeah. go to a place that should have 100 people and there's 1,000. We've had eight, mm-hmm. eight months. What do they have HVCB doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, HVCB is tracking quarantine by, uh, people on quarantine. They should be planning on how we better manage our resources coming out of this. That was Keith Vieira of KB and Associates, a local hospitality consulting firm, sharing his thoughts on what the state ought to be doing to help people in the visitor industry get back at work.
Honolulu Civil Beats reality check pokes around in the office rental market. Business reporter Steve, uh, Stuart Yurton joins us today. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. So your headline for your story says treading water. And that I feel we've been doing that for a very long time. Yeah, yes, we have. It's it's that's what the f- uh, consultant said that we spoke to uh, the uh, Hawaii, uh, mostly Honolulu, mostly Oahu uh, office market is is treading water. Maybe it's dipping its head into the deep end a little bit, but so far it seems to be okay. So, uh, give us a little you know snapshot of the people that work downtown. Right. So a snapshot of the people who work downtown, as, as you would imagine, are professionals, uh, uh, financial services people, accountants, uh, lawyers, uh, architects, other professionals, maybe, maybe some engineers. Um, and these are a lot of people who haven't been affected as much as, say, uh, the retail industry and, and tourism. Yeah, but still, these are a lot of uh, uh, leases, right? A lot of office rentals. Uh, oh, yes. Right. Yes. So there are a lot of office rentals. And, and the deal is, you know, a lot of people have been working from home because they can. So um, a lot of the offices are, uh, kind of, are kind of empty or not being used as much, um, but they're still, they still have leases. So there are a number of factors that are uh, contributing to the – the treading water instead of having uh, something sink. And one is just the simple fact that maybe the leases are a little bit longer term. They're maybe three to five years and people can't get out of them right away. So what's the vacancy rate? Yeah, the vacancy rate is uh, according, and this is again, according to Colliers International, they they do a study. They're kind of uh, the people um, (laughs) in this area here. Um, they uh, they say it's eleven point six percent here. Um, that's out of fourteen point one million square feet of office space. So um, that might seem like a lot, a little bit more than ten percent. But the increase really hasn't been all that great. Um, the increase in vacancy, the apparently the market in the last uh, quarter, or the third quarter of of this year, uh, lost about fifty three thousand square feet. Uh, that led to an overall decline of about 144,000 square feet um, for the year, uh, year to date. But again, that's out of 14 million square feet of space. You know, and I think when we checked with Collier's O several months back, I know they were saying that, you know, when it comes to landlords, you know, the local landlords and landowners were, were more willing to negotiate with their tenants on, you know, a break in lease rent. Well, I mean, that can be one factor uh, going into these. A- again, the, we spoke to Mike Hamasu um, with Colliers. He's the person who, who's a uh, local expert on these matters. And, you know, he said, again, the, from what they can tell, it's, it's, not, it's not as bad as, as it might be. It's not as bad, maybe according to looking at his report, as, as the decline after the um, – during the Great Recession, because then, of course, you had a lot of uh, financial services industry people who were just, you know, completely slammed, um, you know, mortgage brokers, that sort of thing. So it's not as bad as then it seems like. Um, And again, we also spoke to uh, CBRE, and part of their idea was that, well, it's just not as expensive per square foot office space compared to something like um, retail or restaurants. Plus, of course, remember uh, these uh, more white-collar jobs, they're still making money. I mean, they can still operate and bring in money. If people are working from home, it doesn't cost the business anymore. It, it's just the same cost. It's like a fixed cost for the office space. They're just not using it, but still generating revenue. I guess I just still have visions of, uh, visions of, of uh, you know, hundreds of office workers trying to get into the building and using, you know, one bank of elevators. <laughs> oh, yeah. That that's a good that's a good idea. Um, that's something to look into. I mean, the other thing is, though, as you as you uh, just alluded to, social distancing. Even if um, you don't have everybody working uh, from the office, or they're working, a lot of people working from home, people have to stay spread out a lot more. So that also creates demand for for space that kind of helps the market. 
and keeps yeah. it treading water, I guess. Yeah. Well, we've had to adapt, and we'll see how much longer <laughs> we have to, to, to keep, as you said, treading water. But thanks so much, Stuart. Thank you, Catherine. That was business reporter Stuart Yurton with today's Reality Check. Find his story online at civilbeat.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from McDonald Rudy, a Honolulu law firm serving the community for nearly 30 years, offering a range of trusts and estates litigation services, including wills, trusts, and probate. Learn more at mcdonaldrudy.com. On this week's On the Media, the paranoia energizing the American right has old roots, very old. All conspiracy theories tend to have some similar structures. You've heard this song before. This is not an original. 2,000-year-old fringe thinking reborn on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Beginning this evening at 7, following The Body Show. Support for HPR comes from Alexander and Baldwin, serving the islands for 150 years through job creation and civic support. A and B, building partnerships in Hawaii with a commitment to respect Hawaii's communities, people, cultures, and environment. This is the conversation on listener-supported Hawaii Public Radio. We now check in with HPR's Dave Lawrence and astronomer Christopher Phillips, who tells us about they well they tell us about a well-known Puerto Rico observatory that's closing for good after natural disasters seriously damaged its giant telescope dish. Here's your Monday Stargazer. Stargazer time, our weekly look into the massive universe surrounding our tiny and very troubled planet. And as usual, we are fortunate to have the guidance of astronomer Christopher Phillips. And wouldn't you know, we've got him on the line, too. Hey, Chris, welcome back. What's in store this week? Hey, Dave. It's good to be here. So this week, stargazers, keep your eyes to the skies for Jupiter and Saturn, which can be seen in the west until they set at around 9.30. Mars is also visible in the south until it sets in the early morning. The moon this week is almost full, and so spotting meteors, satellites, and other faint objects is going to be very difficult. And one of the fabled devices in that realm is actually heading for retirement, I guess you could say, in one form or another. And you've got an update on the situation in Puerto Rico. Yeah, sad news this week as we bid farewell to an astronomical giant, the Arecibo Radio Telescope in Puerto Rico. The National Science Foundation has decided to decommission the giant radio dish after storm damage and entropy have taken their toll. With the dish deemed too unsafe to repair, there is no choice but to close the facility for good. This brings to a close an illustrious scientific career spanning almost 60 years. What kind of damage has this thing received? Well, the main blow came in 2017 with Hurricane Maria as it swept through, followed by major earthquakes in 2019 and 2020. Following this, several high-tension cables that support the science platform above the dish began to fail. So that means the whole structure becomes questionable. Indeed. For major observatories, safety of personnel and public visitors is paramount. Astronomical observatories are amongst some of the most safety-conscious scientific facilities in the world, and so structural damage such as this that was seen at Arrocebo is taken very seriously indeed. They're going to turn it into a big skate park? What are they going to do with that thing? Well, it will be dismantled and the site eventually reclaimed by Mother Nature. That's a famous place that's been used in, in, in films and stuff. It is indeed. It's an iconic observatory. But we shan't lament its loss too much because we have a successor in the form of the Square Kilometer Array, which will be coming online later in the decade. And that will pick up the scientific endeavor that Arecibo championed back in the day. Very good. Well, that'll be something we can look forward to in the future, and we know you'll tell us about it. Christopher Phillips, thank you so much. You're welcome, Dave. And I'm Dave Lawrence. Uh, we'll catch you next week for Stargazer, and you can catch Stargazer at hawaiipublicradio.org. 
Support for Stargazer comes from Ferraro Choi, architects for the West Hawaii Exploration Academy Public Charter School. Committed to environmentally sustainable architecture and interior design, ferrarochoi.com. probably familiar with closed captions when it comes to movies and televisions, but what about phones? Well, today we are learning about something called CapTel, caption telephones that can open up possibilities for those who are deaf or hard of hearing. We talked to Susan Young, outreach representative of CapTel Phones. What CapTel is, it's short for caption telephone, okay, and it's, it's designed for people with hearing loss. So it's like the closed captions on your TV, um, and you can set the captions right on your phone. You can actually hear what someone, you know, well, sometimes hear. Uh, you can actually read if you cannot hear over the phone, um, and it's in written text so that you'll be able to hear it. And what's really great about the phone, too, is it's about um, four or five times louder than the normal phone. So, you know, number one, you may have hearing loss, but you might be able to hear better on the CapTel phone. So it's a, it's a phone that, you know, I'm just amazed that after six years, people still haven't heard about it. And to me, anyone with hearing loss should have this phone. It's connecting people together. You know, it's, it, you're connected again. There's so many people, especially with this COVID right now, where people are very isolated. They can't see anyone. And then on top of the fact that they can't hear on the phone, they don't do anything. And so they're slowly, you know, just not doing so well. And what this does is it gives them an opportunity to reach out and to maintain that independent lifestyle, to be able to call the brother, the sister, the daughter, the son that they haven't talked to for a while or even seen, you know, and be able to have that conversation. I, I remember installing one of these phones for a woman. She's, she, she must be about maybe 70-something. And I remember once she got the phone hooked up, I called her to, you know, get, get a sample to see how, how it would work. And as I was talking to her, she started to cry. And it was so um, moving because she had not heard a voice on the phone for a long, long time, mm. and she was so thrilled. And after I left, she was on the phone. She wanted to call all her, <laughs> you know, family, you know, Filipino community, right? All her family and friends and people that she hadn't heard from for a long time. It was just amazing the transformation, of what it can do to open up a whole new life that they they gave up on. The whole thing about this captel, the caption telephone, that I think out of everything is that there is no cost to the person who has the hearing loss. So why wouldn't they? You know, and, and I think basically the whole thing is they don't know about it. Okay, so if our listeners hear this yes. and they know of somebody who is hard of hearing, yes. uh, who is deaf in one ear, I mean, this could really be a great Christmas <laughs> present. Oh, yes, where they can be talking about Christmas, about the holidays and everything, yes. And, and what they need to do, there is a form that um, they need to fill out. And you can go to um, hawaiicaptel.com, all, all, um, you know, all in one word. And it's a two-page, and it's very basic. Just, you know, fill out your name and how long you've had um, the hearing loss. Um, and then um, an audiogram or a note from your doctor, your hearing aid specialist, whoever that can confirm you have hearing loss. And then you submit the paperwork, and, I mean, that's basically how you qualify. So is this something for your landline, or is it something for a cell phone? Hawaii Captel um, is the only company that has a phone that um, is compatible with the landline. They have four different types of phones, but one of them is that, and they are the only company that has that phone, um, meaning that the the. I guess the drawback is that it has to be Hawaiian Tel, and it has to be an analog line. 
Okay, so that's okay. The, the limitation. That's, yeah, that's the limitation. However, the other three models um, that are available, they're all internet, um, you know, capabilities. So you, you can have Spectrum, I mean, you know, Hawaiian Tel, it doesn't matter which company, as long as you have internet, um, that can be, be provided. There also is um, a little, there is something that we can transfer the cell phone into it that would be compatible with the CapTel phone. Okay, so there are ways to be able there, to access yeah. this. Well, we try our best to try to figure out how we, you know, how we can get that phone to them. So all you need then is a letter from your doctor that you have hearing loss mm -hmm. and that you could be eligible for this. And, and yeah, there's no cost. The the way it works. Okay, so I know a lot of, you know, seniors are they're used to anything free, you know, there's something wrong with it. But this really is free. Okay, I mean, there really is no cost. The way it works is, you know, on the telephone bill, your regular telephone bill, if you look through it, the next time you get your bill, look through the listing, and you'll see um, under, I think it's Relay Communications is what is titled. And they take out like five cents a month, but they've been taking that out for years, every month from everyone. So it's a, you know, everyone's put into it, put into the pot. But now what's available is for those with hearing loss, the federal government said, hey, let's give that money, this big pot of money back to those with hearing loss. They get a nice brand new phone. I mean, it's a um, state-of-the-art phone, okay? Um, it's not a junky tinker toy kind of thing. It's made in U.S. and we'll give them the service. And there's no cost. None of this costs anything. It's amazing. The, the phones are like three, four, five hundred dollar phones. It's not a cheapy thing. Good quality, high quality. Yes, very high quality. So you mentioned the one gal that you had helped, and you mentioned that uh, she's Filipino. So yes. is this, you know, limited to the, you know, the, the transcription? Is that English only, or explain how that works? Right now, we only have English and Spanish. Now, with any, like here, we're a melting pot, so we've got Chinese and Filipino. We've got all the different races. What happens a lot of times is that even though they have hearing loss, because they can put the volume up on the handset, they can, you know, crank it up, they are able to hear. And so they don't need the um, actual captions going across while they're speaking to someone in a different dialect. Okay. Hopefully, if uh, this catches on and there's a lot more requests, we can put in the Korean, the Chinese, the, you know, we can put in all the different languages, but right now it's only in English and Spanish. What have you seen since this pandemic? Are there more people that are making the request, you know, for this device? There are. I, I think it's like a, a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, um, the first month, it, you know, they were okay. Then the second month, now I know over at the, a lot of the um, homes, senior care centers, you know, they're very isolated. And so the children are calling and saying, you know, I can't talk to my mom. I can't talk to them. I can't talk to them. They can't hear me. They don't know what I'm saying. And, you know, that's their only form of communication. So I think it's really important that we have something for them now. But, and this pandemic is scary because if they're not doing um, anything, you know, they're, they're only going backwards. So we don't have FaceTime because this is like a regular phone. But, you know, you'll have the captions that come across So as they're speaking. And, you know, as I mentioned, the volume is louder. And I, I tell people, if you can hear them, just respond and talk to them because there is a three- to five-second delay, right, on the um, captions coming across. But if they can hear them, then just talk. And then if you don't understand what's being said, then you just say, oh, just a moment read and catch up and you're you're involved in that conversation you know for them to be able to talk to someone that you know their loved ones it's it's so precious it really is and i've had i mean you know i've had um oh he was maybe 88 or something this this gentleman that he was really sharp i mean he, he was this is pre-covid very sharp and everything but he could not hear and uh, once we got once he got the phone and he was able to you know work with it he understood it, and he, he looked at me, and he says, you've opened up a brand new world for me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what kind of job do you get that gets that kind of, you know, that's the rewards of this, this kind of work that we do is to, to provide these phones that 
give the quality of life, a much better quality of life, where they gave up thinking they could never hear again, never hear their loved ones or, or talk to or communicate with them, them anymore. You've been hearing from Susan Young from CapTel Phones. It's offering free captioning devices for those who are deaf or hard of hearing. Uh, find links on our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Inkinen Executive Search, helping Hawaii organizations find leaders to navigate in times of change. More information at Inkinen.com. Hi, this is Ray Cruz, host of HPR One's Latin Beat. You know, every week I seek out and play the latest releases in salsa and Latin jazz, plus the classics that have made Latin music an international phenomenon. No matter what style of Latin music I play, it's music to make your ears smile. Tune in on Fridays from 8 to 10 p.m. on HPR One or listen whenever you want on our website. Just go to hawaiipublicradio.org and look for the Music On Demand page. That is it for today. Tomorrow we hear more about providing for those with disabilities as this year marks the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Do you have a story about dealing with a disability during this pandemic to share with us? Or what are you thankful for this holiday season? Call our talkback line, 808-792-8217. You can tweet us at HI Conversation or head to our Facebook page. And remember, all of our shows are archived. Find them on the Conversation page at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. We will be back tomorrow with more of the conversation. Mm-hmm.